Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. Today, I am joined by an amazing guest. But before we get into the live episode, I want to wish everyone that's tuning in, no matter where you're at, and if you have been experiencing the gut-wrenching heartache and sadness due to the riots that are happening all over the world, we are with you, and we love you, and we want to make sure that you're well, healthy, and remain abundant in the future that we're all building. And, you know, today I have a really amazing guest who is a education innovator who's going to speak a little bit about the future of education and, you know, what is our opportunity to rethink it in today's generation? And more importantly, what are some of the innovative models that he's found and created to help teachers and leaders rethink education? George Koros is an education innovator. And, you know, they kind of regard him as the innovative teaching, learning, and leadership consultant, which is really, really powerful. But I think one of the most powerful things that he's recently done is, is he's dropped this amazing book called The Innovator's Mindset and Innovate Inside the Box. And we're going to touch a little bit about the book on the live episode today. I'm really excited to have, you know, George on this episode tell us a little bit about his story, his background. And, you know, what is his vision? for the future of learning. With that said, I want to bring George on the episode. George, what's up, man? Hey, Tim. How you doing? Thanks for uh, having me and appreciated the conversation before we got on too. So it's uh, it's it's great to actually be a part of this today. <laughs> Thank you, man, for finding time. So George, I want to ask you, how have you been hanging in there with everything going on in the world right now, man? Yeah, it's it's been gut-wrenching to watch, you know, and obviously I'm in Canada, but it affects everywhere and you know, it's 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 really hard to see and it's it's we and I was telling you Tim before we got on, you know, like I have we have a daughter that's about to enter the world and I might have to leave yeah. the podcast because she was doing <laughs> yesterday. But yeah. yeah, like you just you 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 look at the stuff that's happening now and I'm old enough to like remember uh you know what happened with Rodney King and just it's just crazy that yeah. this still happens in our world and we just need to you know continuously share our voice and and you know advocate and I think this is actually all of the work that I do is about we actually really give every opportunity for every single kid to be successful in our world today and that's when we a lot of times when people hear innovation they think about technology right I and mean, I'm talking about yeah really the humanity of innovation. And I think this is something that I'm really passionate about. And every kid needs to, you know, before we can do that, they have to believe they can be successful. But we have to make sure that we create, you know, structures that allow that, that, you know, not, I guess even allow that as a bad term, you know, encourage it. And so I think, yeah. you know, watching what's happening in the world, it's, you know, people are upset and rightfully so. And so we need to keep, doing better to help every single kid and that's ultimately the work that i do is trying to help kids and but if they if they feel they're it's the the cards are stacked against them then it's not the best situation for them obviously yeah no i agree 100 percent, man so you know i want us to tell us i want you to tell us a little bit more about you know where you got where you when and where you got started with education and you know how you've been exploring the innovations of it for the last few years now man yeah well interestingly enough you know i'm sure tim you've talked to teachers before and they'll say like hey when i was like five i knew i wanted to be a teacher and i was like teaching you know dogs and cats stuff and i just do that <laughs> 
And that's not, that is not my story at all. Um, yeah. I actually um, walked out of high school, had no clue what I wanted to do. My parents, who are both immigrants to Canada from Greece, basically said, you are going to university, whether you like it or not. Like there was yeah. no choice for that at the time. And so I went in for four years having no clue. And this is, gonna, this is true. And this is going to be embarrassing. I actually saw this movie that totally changed my life. It was Billy Madison. I'm sure, you know, people listening remember Billy Madison. I'm like, <laughs> I love that. I'm like, that's what I want to do. That looks awesome. So I actually trained <laughs> to become a kindergarten teacher. Um, but I've only, the only grade I've never taught was grade one, it was kindergarten. I've taught grade one to 12, was a vice principal, principal, worked central office. And then uh, I've been traveling around the world um, to kind of work with other schools and districts. And like I said earlier, uh, I'm, technology is something that I'm known for, but it's such a secondary thing for me. It's really kind of how we connect with people, how we bring out the best in them. And interestingly enough, a lot of the work that I do was rooted in, you know, what growing up with immigrant parents and, you know, seeing um, how they looked at the world. And my parents actually lived, um, they lived about 15, 20 miles apart from each other in Greece, but they actually met in a small town in Canada which, which people are blown away by because, you know, they live so close, but at the time, you know, 20 miles by donkey is not, it's not like the easiest yeah. journey to take. So they met there and, you know, I always tell the story of my dad. Uh, my dad actually, um, he dropped out of school grade two. He had to fight in the Greek civil war, um, ended up losing his brother in that war. Um, and then in his twenties comes over to Canada. Uh, he has $20 in his pocket, becomes a dishwasher, a salad chef, and then a chef and he ends up owning a restaurant with my mom for 30 plus years. And wow. for my parents, they saw change as an opportunity to do something amazing. They actually embrace change. And for me, that's something that I, I have really become accustomed to is that, you know, when you see things that are happening in the world, how do we actually look and find opportunities and find solutions as opposed yeah. to, you know, dwelling on problems. And that's something that has been instilled in me by my, my parents, you know, uh, coming over to Canada with nothing. And I think one of the things that's important to me is some of the things that we have complained about in education, my parents would have looked at mm. as an advantage. So for example, kids bringing devices into the classroom, many people see that as a negative. My parents, the, they had to like wait a certain time every single month that they could phone home because it was like scheduled and it caught you couldn't phone for very long because it was so expensive long distance now my mom who's 83 years old uh you know grabs her phone and facetimes whenever she wants and so hmm. she sees that opportunity she sees the benefit and so we need to start looking like how does this actually instead of saying we can't have this in the classroom how do we say like how do we actually utilize this to take advantage of what we have in our world and and ensure that our kids benefit from this as opposed to let's hey let's recreate um, the same structure and, and ways that we did education when we were kids. So I think that's yeah. really a lot instilled, you know, from my parents and in, into my mentality of how I work. Yeah. So let me ask you, man, because I think similar to you, you know, we, we, uh, a guy, we see like there's this huge opportunity to transform learning, not only for the mm -hmm. education sector, but for the, for the global workforce. And, you know, there's so many new opportunities, right, in terms of bite-sized learning well as you know immersive learning you know where do you think the future of learning is going in terms of innovative methods that teachers can embrace yeah well there's this there's there, there seems to be these camps right there seems to be like you know the innovators and um 
like let's do all these crazy things let's kind of blow up school and i understand like i understand <laughs> and that's how people a lot of people think and then there's the kind of like the the basics camp like hey you know spelling and reading are really important obviously uh you know time stables things like that and i actually kind of fall in this middle part and part of the reason is i know um, in my work that in no time in our near future are we going to see schools totally change and so part of what i wrote about in innovate inside the box is how do we actually understand that there are constraints in our world and it's the same thing i know that you talked about the future work one of the things that this is a reality in every organization, no, even Apple, right? That has tons of money, you know, there's always going to be constraints. And so how do you look at what those constraints are and actually create the best opportunities for kids? And so I'm actually, like I said, like I actually believe kids should be able to read and write. That's a really important skill to have in our world. But I also believe that, you know, we want kids to be able to like write books, publish, you know, do podcasts, things like this. Yeah. And so if we only teach them to read and write, you know, but not go to that next step, then what if we, we're not taking advantage, but if they actually are writing books, we already know they can read and write. So it's kind of getting to that next level and taking advantage. And I think part of one of the things that really has to change is we have to start, we have to stop saying and determining success and what it is for our kids. So like Tim, yeah. you and I could be consider ourselves both very successful, but the measures that we use for that could be totally different, right? Um, people in the world, they say like, hey, I'm successful because I have a, you know, a healthy family and this is important to me. Some people say, well, I'm a billionaire and that's successful and whatever. That's different types of things. But in, in education, uh, in, our, in the structure of schools, we determine, hey, we know our kids are successful if they can do these things, but they're determined by someone else. And there's so many stories of people that left school that found success. And what I hope to do is that kids actually see, hey, there's a ton of opportunity for me. What does success look like to me? How are you tapping into my strengths? Because some of the smartest kids in school are terrible yeah. academically. And yeah. do we acknowledge that? Do we embrace that? Or do we actually say, no, if you don't fit into these boxes, then you, you won't ever do well. And I just think that... Yeah. Part of the shift in learning is we actually have to relook at what we mean when we seek su success. We have to bring our students in on that conversation, but we also have to acknowledge that. And this is the thing with my parents, and this is why I bring this up: mm -hmm. is my parents they did not have the same opportunities that I had, right? And mm -hmm. they they wanted that. And my daughter should have way more opportunities than I ever had. But I'm not trying to get her to recreate and be in a system that you know <laughs> replicates you know like the only way successful is if you go to college right yeah, if you go to a four-year college model yeah, yeah it's you know there's different ways and so we want like some kids if they go to college and that's their pathway to success that's awesome i'm not i'm not like the gary vanderchuk camp saying like nobody should go to college kind of thing yeah. but yeah. That, but that reality is um we want to make sure there's options and know that kids success has so many different pathways and and learn and that means learning and how to get to those spaces also um has those different pathways you know i mean it's similar to you my, my parents are the same way man we we completely came here because we were immigrants and my mom and dad wanted me to have a better opportunity and you know i, I i'm so aligned with you on the fact that you know learning should be about creating and i think often in the current education model you know, the system doesn't really foster that. It doesn't foster that curiosity. I want to show love to our amazing audience 
Betty, who is saying, yes, talk to the youth. They are more insightful and creative than we give them credit for. Hey, Robbie, who is tuning in from Menlo Park. Robbie is amazing. Please check out her latest book, The Forever Transaction. Shout out to Kenna, who is saying thank you for all that you do, Tim. Oh, thank you so much, Kenna. I really appreciate you. Shout out to Daniel, who is the chief business officer at LinkedIn. Great to see you getting such a following. Thanks so much, Daniel. Truly appreciate you, buddy. And I want to show love to the amazing Darren Hood, who's a master's of science and user experience design. I love Darren for his love for design and solution-driven UX. Thank you so much for tuning in, Darren. You know, George, I think I really want to go back to, you know, the where the education model is falling short and how you mentioned that there's variable pathways that, you know, students can take now. And I think sometimes what what really kills me is that we don't present them that there's pathways. We just say, hey, like, this is the linear view of college or school and learning. But hey, maybe you can also dabble in entrepreneurship or maybe you can't take a semester off. You know, with what's going on currently in the world, you know, how do you think systems such as the current universities are going to have to adapt to where we're moving towards, man? Well, I think partly you see that what's going on in the world right now with coronavirus and people doing like distance learning and stuff like that. The, if you can provide the exact same experience through a distance learning opportunity, then why wouldn't you say that way? And, and here's, here's, <laughs> here's, here's, and here's what I mean by this. And I actually believe great schools, you cannot, if you're really great, kids need to be in those spaces. Right. Hmm. But Think about, you know, many people that are listening here, they probably went to like university and they were in a class of 500. Um, Is someone reading PowerPoint slides? Someone just give you a test, right? There is never, you know, like for me, one of the experiences I had was I would go outside a door. I would look for my student ID number and figure out where I was in a mark. Could you, Mm. could you, if if that's all it is, then I could do that online, right? (laughs) And so really it's kind of nurturing and connecting and why that's powerful. And, and I actually didn't know there was comments. So like, as soon as you started reading, I'm like, where are you reading these comments? And so I've been looking, <laughs> I've been looking. and uh, Robbie Kellerman or sorry, Robbie Kellerman Baxter. And I apologize if I'm saying your um, name wrong. It says nearly every parent sees the huge potential in their own children. Each child has their own strengths, requires different kinds of education and nurturing. And I'm actually a big believer and I really appreciate, and Robbie wrote some more great stuff there, but I really wanted to kind of focus on that first part because the thing that I always talk about, and I talk about from the context of my daughter, like I'm not, I'm not a teacher anymore. I, I don't like I consult. Right. And so I don't really talk about teaching because I'm like, I'm not going to tell you how to teach, but I'm going to focus on learning because everyone does that. But if my daughter comes to your classroom, here's what I need to know. I need to know that she feels welcome and appreciated that, Mm -hmm. you know, she walks in and she sees, you know, representation of herself on those walls that we're not just talking about kids of yesteryear. The the other thing I want to know is that she feels that her strengths are being tapped into, that you're not Mm -hmm. just looking at what she can't do, but you're trying to figure out what she can do and bring that out. But the other part of that is, does my daughter and this is a part like because those first two so many people talk about but the third one is actually extremely important to me is if my daughter walks was to miss a day of school would she feel her contributions were sorely missed that she Hmm. was needed for the success of that classroom and that that really takes a lot of environment and so when we look at education we look at you know going to 
secondary, you know, post-secondary education, is that the same structure or do we, or people just see it as like, here's this checklist I need to get through to go on to the next phase of my life? Because I think that's what, you know, I went to, I went to university because it was instilled in my head and I'm actually saying wrongfully so, if you don't go to university, you'll, you won't make much of your life. And mm. so I just, I just went through, I did the checklist part and, and it really took me a long time to really kind of find my pathway. And I hate to say, I didn't really find it until like six, seven years into my career. And so a lot of kids walk out of school just like I did and say, well, I have no idea what I want to do because we mess them up with like so many different areas and this as opposed to, hey, do you know you're really good at this? What, how do we figure out how to tap into this? Well, yeah, we got to actually still, we have the standardized test we got to take care of, but there's ways you can actually do that. So I think, you know, as I'm seeing in your comments, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, uh, I, uh, one person shared about how curiosity is really important. And one of the things that we share all the time is we don't want kids to actually only be problem solvers. We want them to be problem yeah. finders to actually identify what they yeah. see as issues in the world and then pose solutions as opposed to say, hey, here's a problem we think you should actually solve. And if you think about that, that, that reverse, you think about that switch yeah. through that process, actually, um, actually getting kids to solve problems that they care about will get them to actually better problem solvers. But if if I if you tell me a problem you want me to solve that I don't really care about, how innovative am I going to actually be? And so yeah, <laughs> and so I think I think that's I think that's you know what we really want to develop in our kids. So I think it's, it's true. Yeah, I think it's great to to Shout see to so many people actually you know backing that up in the, in the comments as well. Yeah, and shout out to Robbie who is sharing this. There's so many ways to learn, so many ways to be educated. Universities need to get clear on their forever promise and who they're making that promise to. I wish universities were more differentiated. Preach, George. What do you think about that, man? Yeah, they they have to be right. It's like <laughs> even 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 this the space that you know we kind of work in right now. Um, there's so many different opportunities as I said earlier. Right. And like, I'll give you an example of something that when we talk about innovating inside the box, right. So like for me, I can't ever say to school cause it's not fair for me to say like, Hey, um, you are like, don't worry about standardized tests. Don't worry about those measures. Cause that's easy for me to say while they all lose their jobs for the metric that someone else has imposed to them. So yeah. what, like one example I always give, is okay. I know this kid's strengths. I know that there's something that's there. There's something that they let's say they want to be a YouTuber and they're like making videos and they're awesome at this. But I got to teach the science curriculum. So here's what I say to the kid. You know what? You know what I'd love for you to do. I would actually love for you to do like a YouTube video explaining the science concept. And so do it like you would do a normal vlog. And so what people say is when I talk about innovation, it's like way over here. And then people talk about curriculum in school. What I'm saying is how you actually bring that curriculum to life is the innovation. And it takes, you know, educators thinking different and having wisdom through that process and tapping in. Because like I said, right now, we have to go through certain steps and, you know, it's, it's, as much as I don't like it, it is reality. And so we want to mm -hmm. offer solutions. And uh, my co-author and Innovates of the Box, her name is Katie Novak. She said something to me that I think is really powerful. She said, you know, we got to continuously push and, and make a way better uh, model of school and really create a totally different system. But this is the one year for this kid in grade three. This is it. Mm -hmm. They don't get other grade three years. 
So we need to make sure that that's the best experience possible while we are continuously pushing, you know, what we're doing uh, in education. And so as we go into like, you know, to university and to, to doing these things, do we expect, you know, are we actually creating a system where it's like you have to check boxes um, to get your grade, to get your diploma, to get, you know, whatever, hmm. or are we actually creating opportunities for our students, you know, through that time. And I think that like, I remember when I actually, um, I actually had a teaching job before I finished uh, university. Really? And so I, yeah. And I still actually, I had, so I, I was on a, like a emergency cer certificate and I had to, like, I had final exams still. And so I went and talked to the mm -hmm. dean. I'll, remember, I'll never forget this. And I had to, like, reschedule, like, hey, when I got to, like, make sure I have my days off to be able to take these exams. And the dean said to me, he said, did you just get a job already? I said, yeah. He said, well, the whole purpose of this was to actually help you find a career. And so you don't need, don't worry about the test. They're fine. We'll, we'll give you, the, and right? Because is the purpose to, like, jump hoops or to create opportunity? Because that that's what you got to focus on at the end of the day. And so I like, I'll never forget that experience. And that for me is like, if I create some opportunities for our kids through this process, then of course, that's, you know, what, what we want to do at all levels of education. Yeah. All levels of education, even adult learning, right? <laughs> 100%. And I think, you know, you look right now, people are, you know, popping into the chat, watching this live because they're interested in some of the content, some of the ideas that we yeah. want to share and that this is not, you know, like me growing up. It's like, hey, I want to, I'm interested in this content. So if I want to watch it, I got to like be there at eight o'clock Thursday night, this channel. And if I can't be there, I got to set up my VCR, set up the timer, do all this stuff to get it, you know, and it's a bunch of work. But now people can watch this live. They can be a part of the conversation. Uh, they can actually watch it on a time that's beneficial to them. And a lot of people are taking advantage of that as they should, as we need to create those opportunities for our kids. And I think a lot of people in education right now, <coughs> excuse me, are creating those opportunities for kids where there's flexibility, where it's more focused on not the teaching, but what the kids are able to do. And I think that's a really important distinction. Like, as you said, Tim, the, the adult learning, um, we have way more opportunity now. We just want to make sure that kids realize that before they leave school, not not only after. Yeah, yeah, so powerful, so powerful. So shout out to Renee who's saying curiosity is very important. Kids learn fast if they are interested. You know, curiosity-based learning is one of my favorite methods of learning, right? We learn best by asking questions and being in environments in which that allows to do so. George, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so one of the quotes I'm actually known for is that if a child leaves school less curious than when they have started, we have failed them. And it's, it's, it's meant to kind of like make people feel a little bit uncomfortable, um, you know, through, through that process. Right. And I think curiosity is so crucial to learning. It's actually crucial to success. Right. Hmm. But I think in many, um, let's not even talk about education. Let's talk about like organizational structures. There is this process where my boss says something and then I agree to it if I want to be a good employee, but really the most beneficial organizations actually encourage their people to ask questions and challenge. And so they tap into that curiosity through their work. And um, I actually remember when I first became an assistant principal, and this is going to sound like a strange story. Uh, I actually interviewed for this position with the principal. And what was interesting um, through this interview 
and I've never had any experience like this ever before. Him and I were yelling at each other uh, during the interview and got in this massive argument through the process. And I'm like walking out like, what just happened? That was the weirdest experience. And it was almost like he was provoking it, right? But I wouldn't back down to, you know, some of the things that he was saying. And so I called my mentor and I said, look, that was terrible. Like, I'm not getting that. She's like, just just be patient. You never know. And so he called me a couple of days later and he said, hey, I'd, I'd actually like to offer you the job. I was like, wow. are, you, are you kidding? And I, I said, I, I, I said, I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised because mm. we didn't seem to really match. We seemed to get in a lot of arguments. And he said, you were the only person to challenge me. And I was mm. looking for that because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that the work that I'm doing is what's right for kids. I don't want you just to agree with me because I'm your boss. And so he, he, he actually said, but he said, but when we make a decision, we gotta, we gotta be on each other's side, like whatever the final decision is. And I, and ultimately to be honest with you, cause I get, you know, the responsibility is on me. I have to, at the end of the day, make that call and be, you know, uh, responsible for that. But I want to make sure that I have someone who challenges me. And that actually was something uh, I really instilled in my mentality. And so when I, when I became a principal, I actually looked for people that didn't think like me, um, would challenge me on certain things, but we had the same focus of like, we want to do what's best for kids. And so part of that is you have to create this culture in our organizations where challenge is not just accepted, it's encouraged, where the focus is on how do we, and, and challenge, you know, like sometimes, let's be honest, like we create, there's sometimes organizations, people just challenge to be contrarian, not to actually move forward. Like they'll just say, Hey, every solution you have sucks, but I'm not going to offer you anything else. Like they'll <laughs> you see that, right? But it's actually, we want people to challenge so we can get better challenge so we can move forward. So that's something we want to instill in our kids, but it's also something that is necessary for the adults as well. And, and, the organizations benefit from it because I said, I used to say this to my staff, this is not about your idea. That's not about my idea. It's about the best idea. And wherever that comes from, we don't care because our, our goal is to help kids. And so that that's the focus. Hmm, that's powerful. So Renee is saying there's a lot, also the point that some things don't interest you, but are valuable to know. And kids may not realize that. How do you manage that? George, what are your thoughts, man? Well, yeah, that's so like, it's actually, you know, as I mentioned, my parents were both immigrants to Canada from Greece. And I'll tell you, um, one of my biggest regrets is I can't speak Greek. And the reason I bring that up, and I think that's a, a really good point, is I I wish my parents, because anytime and like we grew up, we were um, really like Greek family was we were in an all German town and we were like the Greek family, right? And we were like known as the Greek family. And so anytime my mom would speak to me Greek as a kid, I'd be like, don't talk to me. Like you're you're making me feel weird. Don't do this, right? And my mom wanted to like, you know, kind of honor like how I felt at the time. But there's a little part of me that wishes you say, No, you're learning Greek. Like this is what's happening. <laughs> and like I look at like I my mom put me in piano lessons and piano is my favorite instrument. But at the time as a kid, you know, I think that I just, I said, I don't want to do it anymore. She said, yeah, okay. And that's fine. And so I think sometimes we have to kind of push kids to learn things that they don't want to learn. But I think that in education and so the, the, how we actually do that. And I think this is something I've always struggled with. We have to, first of all, say like, what are the necessary things for this kid to learn? Because for me, 
piano might not have been necessary, but it would have been hugely beneficial, but maybe not for another kid. So we actually have to have those conversations. Like when you hear about the basics in education, we have to revisit what the basics mean. Like, do we still need every kid to learn cursive handwriting? I think honestly, we need for every kid, and it's going to surprise people because I'm all about innovation. I believe every kid should be able to read it, but I don't, I don't cursive write. I'm sure most people listening don't cursive write, but I could read it. And I think that ensures that we have access to historical documents, but there's a lot of documents I wouldn't be able to read because I don't know Latin and Latin was taught in schools forever. And so maybe there's different ways we can teach this. And so we have to kind of redefine what the basics are and what we mean by that. And so every kid should learn this. But the more you tap into the strengths and the passions of a kid, the easier it is to get them to learn the things they don't want to because they feel valued. But if school is only about stuff I don't care about, then it's a fight the entire time. And, and I'll give you a good example of this. My, um, super, my former associate superintendent, Kelly Wilkins, best leader I've ever had. She was incredible. And one of the things that she did when I became a teacher in her school, she gave me, um, I was very good with technology. And even though I wasn't an administrator, she would say to me, like, you need to figure out the budget where we're spending technology. And typically that is a principal position. And I said that to her. I said, I don't, that's not really my job. She's like, well, you know it best. That's why we hired you. And so you need to figure it out. And now all of a sudden as a teacher, I was going to make decisions that were going to impact other teachers that I would actually hear complain about how much they hated the technology. I'm like, oh, I better be really thoughtful of this. And all of a sudden I have more ownership over the school, not just my classroom, but over the school. And the reason I tell you this is because Kelly valued me and she did that, not just with me, but with so many people. And I literally, Tim, I would actually be in the middle of doing something I would despise that Kelly asked me to do. And I'd be like 10 minutes in and I would just stop. I'm like, how did she get me to do this? Like, <laughs> how did she get me to do this thing? And it was because, honestly, she empowered me. She gave me so much ownership. I would do anything for her, right? Mm. But at the t I didn't really realize it. I'm like, I would have never done this for this principal. And, she, and, I, mm. and I'm doing it gladly for her. And it's really about that ownership. You know, like even, uh, even something when we look at schools, when I said, you know, do our kids represent on the walls? A lot of times we, as the teachers, uh, want our classroom to look perfect. And right now we want it to be Instagram and Pinterest ready. And, you know, sharing this connection, right? And so it looks really good when you post on Instagram. And then we'll say to our kids, this is our classroom. This is our, no, it's not. You decorated. I had no say on anything. Yeah. So I tell teachers, hey, why don't you actually have a blank space in your room? You know, just blank walls. You won't have to come in early to decorate and have a bunch of materials and actually let kids decorate the room. So now all of a sudden they're seeing representation of what they love on the cloud of, of the walls, what they're, uh, you know, of, of what they're doing. And I always say this to teachers, I would rather see the imperfections of my daughter than the perfections of the teacher. And now mm. because I have that ownership over the classroom, I see this as part of, then I'm more willing to take some of those hard steps on the journey. And so that that's really kind of, that's kind of like how we get those kids. Because I, I actually agree. We need to get kids to teach stuff that they don't want. But yeah. just like as adults, it's way harder to get people to do that if they don't feel valued. Yeah. Right? yeah. So. Let me ask you, George, you know, what do you think are, are a few of the things that we can do to have the private sector involved in, you know, driving this transformation? Well, I, I think we have to have some honest conversations and they have to kind of push um, the, like post-secondary um, on some of the things that they're getting out because 
a lot of times we want to do these really creative things and it's really hard work because we're inundated with curriculum. And the reason we're inundated with <laughs> curriculum is because we have to get marks for kids so they can go to college uh, to do these certain things. Right. And like, here's, here's the reality, Tim. So I was a principal and I always worked at central office and this is what we tell kids all the time. Oh, your grades, your grades, your grades. So important your grades, like your grades are going to determine so much of your life and stuff like this. Then a teacher would apply for a job and I would never look at their grades ever. I didn't care. Like it had no bearing. And in fact, something that I, and I know everyone listening to this, um, will, will, will have experienced this probably as a student. Everyone knows a math teacher who is brilliant at math, who cannot teach math because those are different skills. So mm -hmm. sometimes we would actually have teachers do really well academically and not actually be able to, to teach. And part of it, like, I, I know that's a weird thing to say. I'm proud that I actually didn't do well in school because it actually helped me understand kids who struggled because I was that kid. I was the, I was kids that were like class clowns. I'm like, that's all you got. That's not even funny. Like if you're going <laughs> to disrupt, the, you're going to disrupt class. Like let's, let's get some laughs out of it at least. Right. And kids actually respected me because of that, because I didn't get bothered by it because I was that kid. And I'm not saying if you do academically well, it doesn't mean you're a good teacher. But I also know that if you do academically well, it, it doesn't equate that you will be a good teacher because of that. And so I think when we're looking at industries, you know, they're, they're still, you know, they're still looking at top applicants from, you know, from specific colleges and things like this. But they don't they don't want people. But then they want people that are creative and think different. And so a lot of times the people that are the top applicants out of colleges, they learn how to fit within a system. Whereas some of our most creative mm. thinkers, the ones that are, are, are different are actually ones that didn't do well because they think different. And I think that's what we need to tap into mm. and organize organizations. And uh, I said, Renee actually said, depends on the role. And I agree on that too. Yeah. But I think that we have to understand there are different, um, there are different things uh, that actually people need in organizations and it's not always based on how you did academically yeah yeah that's powerful that's powerful yeah if i, yeah, if I was, it, it, if I was it, a consultant based on my grades nobody would hire me <laughs> I'd, be in, I'd be in a lot of trouble yeah based on your, your high school grades right <laughs> oh geez college too are you kidding me i'm sure everyone has the dream like I, I still wake up i'm 45 years old and and yeah. still wake up, I'm like, oh, did I miss a test? Like, I still have that anxiety, you know, you have those dreams, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it doesn't equate, right? And I think for me, one of the skills that I have always had, and as, like I said, growing up in a restaurant with my parents, I've been good with people. And a lot of people that are, you know, people skills are extremely important in our world today, especially, important. yeah, and it's, you know, a lot of people can do the, the work, but they can't, like, if I'm really smart, but I can't connect with people then my ideas go to die and uh, the developing mm. people like developing emotional intelligence is a really important skill we need to develop in ourselves and i think you know to your point too is social intelligence right shout oh. out to elena mrs smith shout out to you who is shouting me out she sees us making a difference so she's pretty proud of us in that regard you know thank you so much george for being on the show today i want to shout out kenna who is saying, yes, she has been loving our episode so far. You know, what would be your big takeaway for our amazing community? Something to inspire them to, to really take control of their learning. Well, I think 
I think for me, a lot of times when we look at learning, we look at it as a consumption process, right? So you'll mm. see blog posts like, hey, we're going to challenge you to read like 100 books a year. And so someone will read yeah. a book, go through it as fast as they can so they can post it on Facebook and like, look at how much I'm reading, right? Like I'm reading, reading, yeah, reading. Yeah, there's no silly. <laughs> yeah, and he, I'm sure like everybody sees that on their social media. And I'm not saying like reading is bad. That's not the takeaway no. from this at all. I think it is actually really powerful to read. But I think there's a real benefit when you read something. And then you blog about it, you create something from it, you do, you actually, you take in that information and then you expunge it out in a really powerful way. And so like, for example, many people are listening to this podcast and I, hopefully I'm giving Tim, you and I are giving some good insights. Hopefully, uh, I think yeah, we are. Right. <laughs> but what, but, but the thing is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, are you just going to like, oh, that was good. And then move on to the next part of your day. And so kind of that open reflection process where we share in these spaces, share some of these ideas actually helps for us to kind of connect and network and um, build these ideas ourselves. And I think that's a really important process because if you think at school, w the way that that was done was I'm going to give you information and then you're going to put it back to me on a test. And it's more about like, did you retain information, not actually understand it? But one of the things that we encourage kids in our school is like, hey, we've given you this information. Now, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to utilize in a way that's powerful? How are you going to create something with this information? And so I think that looking at learning as a process of consumption and creation and always saying that benefits are both, because I actually think it's way more powerful to read 20 books and blog about them than it would be to read 100 books and just let that information go out right? Because then you're actually creating some connections. You're, you're deepening your learning. Um, I speak all over the world and it's something I'm really passionate about. But if you read my blog, there is not one thing in my blog or it, when I speak that I didn't write about at some point in my blog, because me going through that process of creation and writing, I mm -hmm. actually have to do that before I feel comfortable sharing that out with the world. Cause I got to break it down. I got to kind of go through it and, and kind of see where my reflections are. Create that clarity for yourself. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, and you know, I, I'm a trained designer, so you know, when when I hear you talk about kind of, you're almost talking about the creative process, right? Mm -hmm. Breaking down information, converging and diverging, and working, co-creating with people. And I think that's powerful. And you know, one thing that excites excites me about your work, George, is I believe that's where we're moving towards. Right. In terms of the future of learning. And, you know, that's what we're trying to build at Guide. So, you know, I really want to show love to George. Please make sure to go get his book, The Innovator's Mindset, Mindset as well as Innovate Inside the Box. George, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. You know, where can the people connect with you and uh, your work? Yeah. So if you just go to George Kouros, so my last name is spelled C-O-U-R-O-S and GeorgeKouros.com. Uh, basically, you can see everything there and you'll see my Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff in that one space. And so actually, it's interesting because I actually created that space. The only reason I created that space, um, it's actually a portfolio of my learning. But the only reason I created it is because we want our students to create it and nobody knew what they were doing. So I'm like, okay, hey, we're going to do this effectively. I'm going to figure out how to do this first. So what was cool is that in the district that I was working at, I started that first and then we actually had um, basically 10,000 kids have access and create their own mm -hmm. portfolios of their learning through their entire time in their schools, which was really incredible because um, a lot of times we're asking kids to do something new and creative 
but we don't do it ourselves. And so I wanted to be able to talk to them from the process of as a learner, as opposed to simply a teacher, because I can't effectively teach it unless I learn it. Truth. Preach. Yep. Preach, George. Preach. George, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate you for being on this episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guy podcast. We're going to have to have you on a future episode, man. That'd You're be great. Amazing. I appreciate that, too. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Take care. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for watching. So thank you all so much for tuning in and listening in to George. You know what? We're going to take a break and actually wait for our next guest who's going to be on the show. He is the CEO of SAS. And if you haven't heard that company, I encourage you to check it out. And we're going to pause here and actually wait until he comes on. But check out SAS. They are doing some incredible things in terms of payment processing. So let's take a quick break and I will be back. All right, y'all. Talk soon.